Bonjour! Comment ça? I'm Ting Claraval. And I'm Dr. Catherine Wu. And you're listening to the Cultural Quotient Podcast. More people than ever are working across cultures, and this can be challenging. In this show, we discuss ideas, strategies, and stories to help you navigate cultural diversity at work and in life. Like many of us, I've worked in different places like the Philippines, China, and now here in Singapore. And I've been studying cultural intelligence for two decades in Europe and in Asia. In this first season of the Cultural Quotient, we talk about how to develop CQ so that you can be more successful in today's diverse world. Enjoy! So in our previous episode, we started breaking down some of the different dimensions of culture, right? Yeah. So we talked about collectivism and individualism, yeah. power distance high versus low, um, some feminine masculine <laughs> attributes based on yeah. my stories and my experiences. Um, and I think we ended with a question because um, we were talking about like if we left Singapore, come back in 25 years, the culture mm-hmm. would probably be different. Yes. Yes. And I ended with a question, you know, so when a culture change, what actually changes? Yeah, maybe let's start there, you know, because we ended on that. Yeah. Okay. So does culture change? The answer is yes. Because culture is made by people. People change. Maybe a more important question to ask is why would a culture change? Um, so I think in one of our earlier episodes, you mentioned that culture is like solutions to problems yes yeah so i would then guess that the reason a culture will be forced to change or would have to change or people would clamor for a cultural change is because these habits these ways of doing things no longer work or no longer solve a problem or maybe they now bring up a new problem yeah that is no longer serving the needs of that society is that is that correct to say i would think so and uh, an example that that is for sure going to change our habits and practices everybody now is talking about climate change right climate change is so difficult to solve because many of the habits that we have you know consumption habits the reliance on on cars and fossil energies and all of this we can also say that it's culture so it's part of on habits and it's taxing to learn new habits we saw it during covid Except that during COVID, we had no choice. We had to change our way of doing things because the other option was death. So that's exactly what you described is we are facing new problems. Our old solutions are no longer working and we have to learn new solutions. Mm. The challenge there is to learn a new culture, you have to learn new habits. Mm. The reason culture is hard to change Mm. and slow to change is because it goes against human nature of... Wanting to do things efficiently and not wanting to learn too many things because learning is difficult. Yeah, and it's difficult also because of the scale um, in a society, right? For a new culture to really kick in, like almost everybody has to really participate. Mm. Um, And unlearning takes time. You have to unlearn uh, certain behaviors, you even have to unlearn mindsets to get that culture to start to change. Yeah. Yeah. 
And that brings back to this idea of cultural intelligence. Mm. So far in our past episodes, we have spoken about different aspects of what is cultural intelligence. Yep. We've spoken about the motivation. Yep. We've spoken about the knowledge, yep. understanding cultures. You spoke about these values that can be used to describe culture. Yep. And now your question about how culture change and why it's so difficult and so slow, it brings us to the third dimension of cultural intelligence, which is the psychological part of it. Mm. So if we think that culture is what we do in a way that is very habitual, when we meet people in our day-to-day life, we also follow a number of habits. Mm. The way we communicate, the way yeah. we agree and disagree, the way we give feedback, the way we relate to one another, this is also learned in our own culture. We don't question our way of doing things on a daily basis. That's efficient. Being culturally intelligent actually requires that we move ourselves out of this automatic way of doing things into adopt another way which takes more effort. So remember in the first episode, you spoke about this time where you went to Iran. You talk about being mindful of how to greet people. Especially the men, right? Especially yeah. the men. Yeah. Psychologists go to two systems mm. of thinking. One is the autopilot, mm. the efficient, effortless, the one that will rely on stereotypes, yep. where we don't know something or we don't know someone. We just retrieve whatever bits of information we have. The assumptions, right? Yes, mm. assumptions. Yeah. And then we very quickly use this to make judgments. And then we have this other way of thinking called the control thinking, the one that we use when we have to solve complex problems, mm. the one that we use when we have to make a very difficult decision. This doesn't come to you naturally. Yeah. You have to consciously make the decision to think. To think. Yeah. Exactly. You yeah. have to put a lot of effort into it. And that way of thinking, this is one of the characteristics of people who have cultural intelligence which means that when they cross culture, when they start working with someone from a different background or they go to another country, they don't just act on autopilot. They consciously notice, pay attention to what is happening, relate that to whatever they know about the culture so that they can adapt, they can change the way they respond to situations in a way that is hopefully more appropriate. Yeah. 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 It's... um definitely calls on a certain degree, if, if not high degree of self-awareness. Yes. Right? You, you have to become aware that, whoops, I am tapping into my assumptions and judgments. Let's say I enter a room filled with a certain kind of people and then I assume right away, okay, this is how I should behave. This is how they will react to me, interact. The interactions will happen this way. So just that point where you have to kind of wake up, switch on your brain. How? So how? How do we start? Well, some people just do it, mm. obviously. Uh, for others, we can train on sh- drawing attention on all this automatic thinking, all those stereotypes, all these biases that we naturally have. This way of seeing the world that is deeply rooted in our culture. When people develop cultural intelligence, they actually become less averse to differences. They mm. actually start seeking contact with people who are different. Yeah. They trust people who are different more. Yeah. Because as part of the development of cultural intelligence, we start recognizing that we have those biases. 
yeah. and become better at noticing our own bias. Yeah. Um, uh, let me take a couple of steps back. So we're talking about awareness. The first sign of cultural intelligence is being aware, right? When you are starting to apply implicit bias, unconscious yes. bias, stereotyping. Um, so so that awareness can be trained. I, I guess I'm just trying to break it down for people. Because, you know, in earlier yes. episodes, we were talking about do people know what is cultural intelligence? Maybe you already have cultural intelligence, you just don't know about mm-hmm. it, right? So now I'm trying to break it down. Okay, this is how I develop cultural intelligence. Um, okay, awareness, fine. Now I'm aware that I don't know, right? Now I'm aware that I shouldn't assume. Now I'm aware that I'm applying biases and judgments. Uh, that's a scary thing because you're basically unlearning, right? Letting go of the things that you assume you know about a certain culture or a certain group of people. So what would you advise for that next step, right? So the way I see it, you're aware, then you're aware that you don't know. That's why you have to be open to learning about this group of people, not applying your biases. And that that means you're letting go of these thoughts that have made you efficient, productive, make things familiar. Um, so I would assume that the next thing that follows is what you said, right? That uncertainty and that fear. What do you suggest? How should people be managing that? This is another thing with cultural intelligence. It's also a part of learning to be comfortable with that ambiguity. Mm. Accepting that in cross-cultural situations where we are dealing with people who have different way of thinking, different way of seeing the world, different way of doing things, there will be time where we we don't know. Um, Would it also be possible, like, you know, I know we're talking about not, not assuming, not judging, mm-hmm. not adopting the stereotypes, but sometimes... I mean, this has definitely happened to me. I try to come in with an open mind only to discover that, hey, actually some stereotypes are true. <laughs> you know, like, uh, you know, just confirming the stereotypes um, in situations like that, right? Um, would it be fair to say like, all right, then I can just go back to autopilot then? <laughs> I feel more comfortable going back to my autopilot since I merely confirm the stereotype. I don't know. I'm not speaking of anything specific, but just in general, right? Okay. Yeah. I, so, yes, sometimes stereotypes are true. That's why be, they're stereotypes, right? Sometimes yeah. might be true. Sometimes stereotype will have uh, an element of truth, but what is a stereotype? A stereotype is when we apply some kind of belief that we may have developed because of one or two people and we generalize it and apply it to everyone in the mm. group. Mm. So stereotypes are useful when we don't know much about the culture, especially stereotypes that have a level of validity. So in the previous episode, we spoke about cultural dimensions, Mm -hmm. this research by a professor, Geert Ofsted, that identifies certain kind of characteristics that can be used to compare countries and cultures. Now, these are stereotypes because we assume that everyone in the group will, to a certain extent, embrace some of this uh, values, maybe some culture yeah. are more collectivist, therefore most people will be collectivist, yeah. some culture are more individualistic, people will be more individualistic. But in reality, not everyone within the group is the same. Yeah. The stereotype is useful if you know nothing about the culture. Yeah. But then knowing anything about the culture of the Philippines is not going to help me very much working with you. Mm. 
maybe at first, if I don't know you, okay, I can assume, you know, you come from the Philippines, maybe you... I'm Catholic, yeah. you know, yeah. You are more family-oriented, yeah. maybe you're more collectivist, yeah. prefer to have less conflict and all of that. Mm. But I cannot know for sure until I have known you. Yeah. Now, if I know you and that confirm my stereotype, does it mean that the stereotype is true? I don't know. It just means that the stereotype, to some extent, apply to you. But mm. does this mean that it will apply to the next person? Yeah. Yeah. So to answer, do I need to go back to autopilot? I would say no. It's not because you have verified your stereotype with one person that you will verify it to the next mm. The other thing is a bias called confirmation bias. Mm. We like to be smart. Mm. We like to feel that we're smart and we know a lot. And so when we have some knowledge about another culture, we also have a tendency to look for information that confirms yeah. our knowledge. Yeah. So when you say that, I look at the person and the stereotype is true. Is the stereotype true because it's really true? Or is it true because you forgot to pay attention to all this other information? So I can give you an example. A few years ago, a student told me that story. Um, that he he used to have that stereotype that people of a certain culture group are loud and inconsiderate. Yeah. And for one semester, the neighbor in the dorm was from that culture. Sure. And he said, you know, there was this one time where he had friends over and they stay up very late at night. And uh, and I told myself, yes, these people, they are loud and inconsiderate. Until I started thinking about all the other nights that he was during that time, that year we were neighbors, where the, the neighbor was just fine. Yeah. So confirmation, you know, this bias, this tendency that we have to want to be right, also direct our attention to amplify isolated instances that confirm the stereotype. Mm -hmm. And we tend to overlook all the other situations where the stereotype didn't apply. Mm. So, you know, I would say, no, don't go back to autopilot. Check your knowledge, check your understandings, check your stereotypes. And recognize that sometimes the stereotype will apply, sometimes it won't apply. And as part of cultural intelligence, we study those instances. Why is it that stereotype doesn't apply? Why is it that whatever I know about the Philippines doesn't apply to Ting? Mm. No. Last time you mentioned about becoming more outspoken, more direct, yeah. uh, so if I were to see you in those instances, I would say, hey, that's strange. You're mm. not the typical Filipino, yes. right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. But that also is stereotyping. Mm. It means I'm trying to put you into a box and yeah. I overlook everything that makes you you. Your past experience, your professional experience in this very international environment that has trained you to change the way you communicate depending on the person that's in front of you. So yeah. so all of this is awareness and form a culturally intelligent person. So awareness, um, comfort, being comfortable with ambiguity and yeah. uncertainty, and then constantly checking. checking. Constantly checking yourself, uh, monitoring. Um, that sounds like a lot of work. <laughs> it is. It is. That's why I, I tell my students, if cultural intelligence was easy, we wouldn't need to teach it or train it. Mm. In fact, cultural intelligence, the principles are very easy to understand. It sounds yeah. very intuitive. It is, right? Yeah, yeah. But it's very hard to do. Mm. Mm. Yeah. Um, so 
Okay, so I th- I guess we touched on some of the strategies, right? Um, you know, how to switch on our brain, how to switch off um, things we need to unlearn. Um, we touched on stereotypes, why we need stereotypes and, and when to let go of stereotypes. And how can we then, you said you, you're, you're able to train. So do you have any advice, any tips on what could be like simple actions or is it exercises um, that maybe some of our listeners could start applying today? Yes. A very simple mm. thing. The first step is noticing your emotional reactions. Mm. Things that frustrate you, things that annoy you, that irritate you. When you work with people who are different. Mm. Naturally, when we feel this reaction, it is a sign that something is a bit off, that our expectations are being challenged. Our natural reaction is to attribute this to the personality. There's something wrong with this person. Mm. Or, you know, this their personality, they lack EQ, all kinds of, uh, of things like that. That's your autopilot. When this happened to you, the first step is pause for a moment and ask yourself, what if this had to do with their culture? Just start with this. What if this had to do with their culture? What if there's nothing wrong with this person? And and I would say that's the first step. Now, that question, to answer it, we need to have a little bit of understanding of the culture of the other person. Yeah, yeah. Again, that's why it's called cultural intelligence. But also, Catherine, I feel like if, if you... Look at it that way. What if it has something to do with this person's culture? Okay, maybe I will be a little more tolerant. Yeah. Maybe I will dial back on my emotions. But then at the same time, it kind of starts leading me to think that, oh, then there's nothing I can do because obviously culture is a larger problem, right? Like this mm-hmm. is the conditions that this person has operated in, has grown up with, and that's why they turned out to be this way. Um yeah, so I, I'm just, I guess I'm just saying like, almost like it'll help, it'll, it'll lead me to just throw up my hands and ah, whatever. It's their culture, you know? Yeah. And you're saying that, yeah, so then that means I will have to adjust. I'm the one who has to adjust. Um, Not necessarily. Mm. But yes, the mm. first, the first step, the realization that's, if you come to the conclusion that it's their culture, you cannot change yeah. their culture. Correct, correct, correct. So I'll give you an example. I come from a culture that is quite direct. Right. People are quite assertive. When they need something, they will say. And I have worked with people who come from very different culture background. If you are the boss, they will never talk to the boss. They will never ask questions to right. the boss. They will never say if they need anything. In fact, whenever you ask them, they will say they need nothing. And then in the end, you realize actually they needed help or they didn't understand. Now, this frustrates me deeply mm. because I always have to think ahead of what will they need. Mm. Now, in my culture, I don't have to do this. If people need something, they will come and they will say. This is typical of a culture that has 
higher or lower power distance. In more egalitarian, lower power distance culture, uh, whether you are the boss or the subordinate, people are still expected to have relatively more equal relationship and speak up more. Yeah. But in culture where the power distance is high, yeah. when you are in a lower position of power, you should not trouble the boss. Yeah. No matter what. But that leads to a lot of inefficiencies if you don't understand the instructions. And then that also means that when you, the person is unhappy, they may not say either. And then it bubbles up until one day, suddenly the whole thing explodes. But in my daily life, I have to deal with people like this and I have no choice. Mm. So yes, it is their culture. Yep. And it is my culture. Mm. And our cultures are different. Yep, yep, yep. And yes, it creates frustration. Yep. So being culturally intelligent, is, to me, starts from first realizing it's a culture. Because like what you say, once we put it on the culture, we are also more tolerant. We recognize that it's not going to be enough to try to change the person. Yeah. Because we are trying to change deep-seated assumptions. It's, it's about their identity. It's about what they feel is right. So... So that's very difficult. So yes, the frustration is inevitable. Yep. But then the next step is to think, okay, now I cannot change the culture, but I can create a new culture between me and that other person. Ah. So sometimes we have to adapt, but not always. Sometimes we can create new way of doing things. That's where this idea of, you know, can culture change? Mm. We can change culture, but we can always create a new culture. We've spoken last time, you mm. only need two people to start a new culture. Yeah, 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 yeah. So we are not stuck at that point when I have no choice, I just have to accept. No, maybe I don't have to accept. I have to find new ways to relate to each other, knowing what I know about your culture or knowing that I know about my culture right. so that we can communicate better. We can try to overcome some of those limitations that our culture have, have given us. Yeah. yeah, I love it. So that first question is um, when we see somebody behaving is, oh, what if this is a cultural thing rather than a personality, yeah. a personality thing? So just... That's like the first yes. thing you would advise people uh, when you have that feelings yeah. of frustration. Um, pause, look at it, look at the situation, okay. look at the person and, oh, what if this is because of their culture? Okay, yeah. And then recognize that, um, yes, there may be some adjustments or um, there is this opportunity to create a new culture that incorporates both your respects and incorporates both of your cultural needs. Yeah. Yeah? Yes. Cool. Um, was there anything you wanted to add to that? Yeah, I wanted to add. So how do you know it's culture and not personality? Oh, that's a tough one. Yeah, that's, that's, I'm not sure. Yeah. How? Okay, so here, there's a, a simple three steps. <laughs> So the first one is, you look at the person and you say, does this person uh, always behave this way? Mm, so it. first you look for some kind of like consistency. Right. So I was talking about people being more indirect, you know, not, not so outspoken. Is it, you know, is the person behaving like this consistently? With everyone. With everyone. Yeah. Yes. And every time. And every time. Yeah. Exactly. Then so the, so it's not a mood thing, right? It's not just like an in the moment, you know, they're having a bad day or 
they're being impatient simply because you know something bad has already happened yeah got yeah, it yeah exactly then the next question is is it a situation that is calling for this kind of behavior mm. what is it about the situation that we called for the behavior mm. and the last one is of all the people i know from that culture do they also behave like this mm, in right. similar situations? Okay, so now you're starting to average a bit. Yes. Yeah. So if you recognize commonality, the first one you rule out that is really is something is really something that the person is doing. It has nothing to do with you know the time of the day or uh, the mood, like what you say. The second one is you look at how people are behaving in that similar situation. Is it the common way people behave in this situation? And the last one is of all the people I know of that culture, is it a common behavior across the nationals of that culture? Yeah. yeah. And if you can get some, you know, through this question, through this analysis, then you can identify or you can conclude that, well, yes, maybe there's a cultural element yeah. to it. Yeah. So let me repeat that again. So the three, the three things um, to evaluate are, um, first is, are they consistent? Is this a consistent yes. way? of behaving for them regardless for, the person, for that yes. person regardless yes. of who they're speaking with yeah. or what the, the situation yeah. is second is um, does the situation call for yes. them to behave yeah. this way and then the third one is um, if I line this person up against others uh, from that background from yes. that culture yes. uh, did I observe do I recall seeing similar similar behaviors yes. right okay yes. yeah cool yeah um we have touched on strategy. I know our next topic would be now on actions. And I'm going to end again with a question. Because we did start this project. The goal is for organizations, for professionals, to help them learn about cultural intelligence, develop cultural intelligence, and apply strategies right in the workplace. So the question is, you know, there are multinational organizations yes. that come from, let's say, a certain background or culture. Let's say, yes. let's use Google. Okay, yes. Google is yes. an American company yes. founded by Americans, and therefore you assume they have an American culture. But then now they're, they have offices all over the world. In, in a large multinational organization like this, what culture dominates? Is it the home culture? But then, you know, they have offices here in Singapore. They have offices in the Philippines. What's the culture at Google now? Uh, in Google Singapore and Google Philippines. So that's that's my hanging question for today that hopefully will inspire our listeners to come back and listen to episode five. Thank you, Catherine, for, Thank you, for another interesting conversation. And to our listeners, we hope you enjoy and we'll um, hear from you next time. Thank you for listening. If you're interested to learn more about cultural intelligence, follow me on LinkedIn at Dr. Catherine Wood.